0: Fire, fire,
1: Good day, good day, good day, everyone. It's Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, CEO of your life. No, I don't know. Hello. Uh, it's Pete the Planner Show. Live, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Hello, Damien Dunn, co-host of the Pete the Planner Show. Hello, Pete the Planner,
0: host of the Pete the Planner Show. Uh, Dame, how are you? Have you had a good week? It has been a, a action-packed week full of ups and downs and ins and outs, it would have made a great Hallmark special. Boy, I can feel
1: the podcast turning off right now. Dane, <laughs> we did get some feedback from uh, Jeremiah, a longtime listener of the show, who said to me via Twitter this week, can you please quit saying you've got other places to be? It's making me anxious. There he is, Jeremiah. There, see what well, you actually just said it right in the, the Facebook Live, and I, I mentioned you. Jeremiah, I have only time for you today. That's it, that's all I got. That's all I got is you.
0: Dame? Pete, I've got
1: stuff to do today. Uh, we're going to have to sure this. <laughs> <laughs> I just genuinely laughed at you. Someone take note. It is February, or wait, March 4th. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you, it's Mrs. Planner's birthday, by the way. Do not wish her uh, birthday on her social media, because she would not appreciate it. So there you go. Dame, on the show this week, we've got, uh, it's all investing episode. Like we're trying to increase people's financial acumen this week. hmm so that's what we're doing. We're talking risk tolerance versus risk capacity. We're talking about the uh, diversification mistakes, if you will. Uh, and then we we're also talking about the herd mentality, which is a lot easier to explain, given that, well, it happens on a daily basis in the modern market and the uh, sort of ancient market on top of that. So, uh, Dame, anything else before we get started? I mean, because if not, um, not that I have anything to do, but uh, let's just go ahead and do the show. You know what I mean? no let's uh let's roll right into it and get this moving this party started um okay here we go three two one. this week on the pete the planner show we answer your money questions here's how the show works you email us ask pete at petetheplanner dot ask pete at pete We'll answer your question. We appreciate you listening here on the radio. I'm Peter Dunn. Pete the Planner joining me as always is Damian Dunn. And the the, the last names are the same, but the family's not. Dame, we are not related and you are joining me on the show. Hello, Damian. Hello, Pete. I love to disclaim our lack of relation.
0: I think everybody does, especially my family.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Dame, this week on the show, we are talking investing the whole time. We don't always talk about investing on this show, but this week we are completely talking about investing And we're talking about concepts that will make you a better investor
0: that becomes less frustrated with your investing decisions. That's a decent way to think about it, right? Yeah, I mean, there's so much that's wrapped up in investing. If you choose to really dig into it and we're going to talk about some of those concepts. It's going to be pretty informative. Well, let's uh, begin.
1: Dame, there is something called risk tolerance. Risk tolerance, and people are, are generally speaking, rather familiar with risk tolerance. This is something you talk about on a regular basis to, to the people we serve. How do you best describe risk
0: tolerance? Risk tolerance is the uh, that little feeling you get in your stomach that keeps you up at night or makes you... Uh, Feel a little lightheaded when you open statements when the markets aren't doing so hot. If you look at uh, a downturn in the market as something that is going to hinder you from making your goals or getting to your goals versus a potential buying opportunity or or somewhere on that scale in between, uh, you're dealing with risk tolerance right there. You want to make sure that what you are invested in and your, your strategy of investments isn't causing you more anxiety. Than than benefiting you in the long run. Are
1: there signs, or is it just like you feel anxious? I mean, because by the way, feeling anxious is is a pretty good sign uh, that you got you got a problem there. If is it that you're checking the market too much, or is it that when you That's see true. the market, you go oh, like how do you how do you tell that you're invested against your
0: risk tolerance? Checking the markets is a great one. Calling if you if you work with an advisor, calling an advisor, uh, you know more frequently than. Uh, your structured uh, appointments. Maybe I'm not saying you shouldn't reach out to your advisor when you've got questions and things of that nature, but if you're calling specifically to ask about investments and and how they're doing or, or why are they going down? uh, First of all, your advisor is going to clue in on that pretty quick and realize that maybe your risk tolerance is off, but that should be a big clue to you that you you need that extra reassurance that maybe your uh, investment strategy isn't appropriate for Your risk tolerance. Do you think people are uh, claim to be more
1: aggressive than they really are, or do you think people claim to be more conservative than they really are? What do you think is the more
0: common problem? Uh, First, it goes it goes both directions. Totally. People. Some people will say that they are way more conservative when actually they're a little bit more comfortable than that. But usually, I see most people say they're more aggressive than they actually have the capacity, or sorry, the tolerance to withhold. Which then brings us to our
1: next topic uh, as it relates to risk, and that is risk or capacity for risk, I should say. And, Dane, that's a little different. Capacity for risk is super interesting, and it's what takes a conservative investor and sort of shakes them and says, hey, man, you got to do something because your inability
0: or your unwillingness to take risk is actually hurting you. Yeah, risk capacity is a really interesting little critter because – Uh, you may have a very high risk tolerance, but the capacity that your portfolio is able to withstand or needs to withstand at any point in time could vary differently than what your risk tolerance is. So let's say you are within a couple years of retirement and you want to make sure that that money isn't going to fluctuate or be exposed to too much volatility because you're going to require it to, to live in retirement. That capacity is going down. Your tolerance may still be high. You still might be okay with some some swings uh, mentally and emotionally, but your portfolio can't stand it because you need those assets to make sure that your retirement, you're going to be able to transition to retirement smoothly. So uh, risk tolerance, risk capacity are related, but they are not equals. It's one of my favorite concepts. I I think of it a little different. Uh,
1: I think about what my financial goals are, and I think the uh, minimum amount of return I need to get in order to achieve those goals. And then generally speaking, in my opinion, for my own financial life, I don't take any more risk than I have to there. Right. Like it, it's a it's a it's a little different spin on it. But I find that sometimes because people don't have well-defined financial goals, hmm.
0: that they're they don't know their capacity for risk, which is a giant mistake. Yeah. If we think about generalized risk capacity for for the average person it's going to be really high when you're younger. You've got your first job, not going to retire for a long time. If we're saying retirement is the goal, you have a large capacity for risk because there's plenty of time for markets to go up and down and for you to accumulate assets over that period of time. That capacity is going to diminish the closer you get to retirement. And frankly, it'll probably be as small as it will ever get potentially right before retirement, right before and right after retirement. You need those assets to be stable Interestingly, though, the older you get, the possibility is there that your risk capacity goes up because you may not need as much money the older you get in retirement. So you might be able to take uh, some additional risks if you choose to, because the, the demand on that cash may not be or the, the expected need for longevity in that cash may not be what it once was 10, 15, 20 years
1: prior. This weekend in central Indiana, uh, this past weekend, it was very nice. 60 some degrees. It felt like spring. There's always that nice day. And I played basketball with my son and his friend. They are in fourth grade in our driveway. And we lowered the goal and I was dunking on them. And I I went to dunk on my son, Ted, and he nearly undercut me because he did not know that you can't undercut a large person while they're, uh, hurling towards a basketball rim. And Dame, it was after that game when I went inside and said to my wife, hey, Ted almost killed me, that my risk tolerance, <laughs> um, I had to reevaluate it, honestly. And, and you think about it, the older you get, it's not just investment risk tolerance that changes. It's the risk I'm willing to take with my body to play basketball. I stopped playing in pickup games a long time ago when I tore a muscle in my leg because I was like, what what's the point of this? Think about food too. You know, I used to be able to risk having a triple cheeseburger. That was a risk I was willing to accept, or a fiery hot bowl of chili. Uh, not so much anymore. Uh, the, basically, what I'm saying is, I've become uh, bland and old in my
0: bland oldness. Do you uh, do you want to confess to how low that rim was that you were dunking on? Ah, I'm not good with numbers. No. It was actually, I th- you know, that's a good question. I'm
1: I think it was seven and a half. So I mean, it was pretty really high.
0: yeah. I'm what? higher than I would have given you
1: credit for. What? Well, how much? I mean, I know this is a financial show, uh, <laughs> everyone once a year, but how? What goal could you currently dunk on? What? What? Ooh. What height? Ooh. The max. Um, probably eight and a half would be my guess. Me too. Yeah, me too. Eight and a half. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, maybe eight and a quarter. <laughs> Those extra three <laughs> inches is where you, the ball gets hung on the rim. Dame. All right, so. If your advisor talks to you about risk tolerance, which is a very common thing, you take a risk tolerance questionnaire, be sure to talk about capacity for risk or risk capacity. It is a additional element that I think in many ways is more informative once you've come to terms with your risk tolerance. What do we say, Dama? I was listening to a show about basketball and uh, (laughs) the the guys were talking about –
0: uh, risk capacity? How do you bring this up? I, ideally, it comes up naturally inside of a conversation led by the advisor. However, as you start to look at the projections towards retirement, uh, you ask, okay, h- how much volatility can my portfolio withstand within that maybe five year on either side of that that date that you pick out? And make sure you've got a plan so that if, uh, if you have a, a, a rough market, you don't have an adverse sequence of returns risk that you're going to run into, and your money's going to be just fine beautiful.
1: You know, our goal really is not to displace your financial advisor because we are not financial advisors. Our our goal is not to make you feel worse about your financial advisor. Our goal is to help you become a better client so your financial advisor can serve you better. Plain and simple. Coming up after the break, we'll do more about that. Sort of like what are the risks of diversification? How can it go wrong? That's next on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. My man Brian Pinkins comes in with his last dunk was on a ten foot goal was six years ago.
0: It is worth noting that Brian Pinkins is a, a large man i was going I was going to say that indicates one of two things to me about Brian Pinkins either he is very tall or he is very young Mr Pinkins, what are you six, six? I think he's six six,
1: which you know when I talk to him face to face, I'm basically looking at his navel. It's very comfortable, yeah. I was, you know, I was in my driveway the other day, uh, doing something, and I don't know why this other person walked by, and they were very tall. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm a small man. I, I think I'm a, <laughs> you know, like it just hit my hit me. I was like, I never really aspired to be a small man, but I am a smallish man, big compared to like big big men. I mean, you're just over average height for a U.S. male, aren't you? I'm five nine and a half. Yeah, I, think, I think that's just over. I think five nine. No, I'm average in any way that okay. you look at it. Well, then your average, I guess. Dave, you know what occurred to me this week? Um, that there's a huge disparity between how much people bowl and how much rich people purport to like bowling. If you've ever seen a mega mansion, there's always a bowling alley in the mega mansion, and it makes you think, oh, wealthy people must like to bowl. Dave, how many times a year do you bowl? Zero. Okay. Mrs. Planner and I were having this discussion last night because I was making this point to her because I, I like to be tedious to everyone in my life. And she, we were like, okay, we bowled twice this year because it was a pandemic. We had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so twice. If you're a wealthy person that has like a, a bowling alley in, in your house, like Tony Stewart put up his uh, his uh, hunting preserve in, in Columbus, Indiana up for sale for $30 million this weekend. And it's like, he has a bowling alley. It's like, well, Okay, maybe that translates a little bit. But sometimes out in like, uh, you know, uh, Bel Air or something, people have a bowling alley. It's like, who is bowling
0: that much? Um, Have you ever had a bowling alley in your home while you've been enjoying a couple glasses of wine? Because maybe your perspective changes. That's a good point. At the level of your blood alcohol content. Is that the thing? Like if you have a bowling alley, you you like to party? I mean – There's pictures of, was it Nixon bowling in the the bowling alley, the basement of the White House? I mean, I think it was super popular at one point, but for whatever reason, it's just somewhat fallen out of vogue. I wonder if the White House having the bowling alley is what sort of influenced other large estates to have a bowling alley. I'm sure it did. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine uh, having uh, foreign dignitaries over the White House and it's like, hey, want to go bowl bowl a couple rounds? Uh, I, I don't know
1: what me think about this cause we're talking about partying, but like when Ted was like four or five years old, like he came home from school one day and we're just talking and it, it's like when you, when you're a kid and you, you hear that people that party is a verb. Do You remember when you first learned that party is a verb, it's not like you're going to party, you're going to party. He like looked me straight in the eyes. He's like, "Do you like to party?" And I, and I was, it was like he was offering me coke on yeah. South Beach or something yeah. like that. And it was like still one of my favorite moments of my life. And he just looked me square in the eyes, like, "Do you like to party?" And I was like, "No, I don't want any of your street drugs, Theodore."
0: Hmm. Uh, first coke reference on the show in a long time. Yeah. Not really, not really give my up, thing. But you know, give, give up Miguel, and you got to transition to something. <laughs>
1: I may have over-caffeinated on Wednesday of this week um, in, in, in a high-stakes situation, could have backfired, could have mm. backfired. Mm. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Anyway, you know, Dame, I was called, I, I, I don't know why I'm doing this, I was called salesy this week on two separate occasions by two separate people in two different settings and I I mean I I am a lot of things, but I've never viewed me as salesy. I just happen to have a big personality, uh, and and so let me tell you, if you don't view yourself as salesy and you view that to be a negative characteristic, and two different people in the same week call you salesy, it burns you to the core.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's just more of a, a common trait among. Salesy people have big, bigger personalities, more you know, being able to turn up that that extrovertedness and and really go after it. So I, they just don't know you, Pete. It's okay. It's not. Yeah. Yours. No. That's that's why I chalked it up too. It's like, you know, I had a, a short period of time to make
1: an impression to talk about what I was talking about, and so you know, it, some people can perceive that as is, is salesy, and maybe I was. I don't know. The fact that I took it so hard when I saw that feedback a couple of different times, I was like. Yeah, I probably was. I mean, at some point, when someone gives you feedback you disagree with, but it's consistent enough in a short period of time, you have to stop fighting it and sort of
0: acknowledge it. Yeah, it becomes instructive, and you can uh, correct whatever uh, things you think might have led to that uh, judgment and move on. I have. It was Miguel. That's my point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's start the show. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Dame, Uh, diversification is often talked about in the financial world as something that is very good and very healthy. However, what we've learned as people who've been in the financial world for quite some time is that a lot of errors occur when it comes to diversification, even when a person is attempting to diversify. So what I want to do is of course, take some time to explore the errors that occur when you don't diversify, but more importantly, I wanna talk about the common errors that people make in their attempts to diversify. And I will I will kick this off with something that we see in the 401k space uh, a number of times. There's, there's two things that people do that don't make a lot of sense, even though there's good intention behind it. And the first one is to just have a little piece of every investing option within your portfolio, just to say, oh, 5% of this, 5% of this, just because they're different, doesn't mean they're worth diversifying against. And then the second thing we see people do, and this one's actually not good at all, is if you choose to invest in what's called a target date fund, Mm -hmm. which is a fund linked to the uh, year in which you are likely to retire, if you choose to diversify the number of target date funds, so instead of going, hey, I'm going to retire in the year 2045, I'm going to put all my money in that, which is, if you're using target date funds, what you should do, what people tend to do is they'll go, well, I'm going to put 50% in that one and, and 50% in 2055 and, and I don't know if there's any percents left and I'm going to put them in other ones. And I was like, well, that's not how they work and and that is a diversification
0: error. Yeah, there are some super common mistakes. And one of the... Uh, we actually saw this a lot, um, at least in one of the, the offices I worked in in the early 2000s, there was a very popular mutual fund company uh, that I'm sure they knew it, but they... Uh, they use American this, funds. Yeah, they they, <laughs> it, they they use this like the same 10 stocks in almost all of their big mutual funds. And so you had this thing called stock intersection, whereas you, you thought you were diversifying into uh, a few different strategies uh, using different mutual funds. But in reality, you were just overlapping a whole bunch. So you ended up uh, having larger concentrations in a few number of stocks that were going to impact your portfolio. And you never realized that now to their credit, they came up with a a tool to help you root that out of your portfolios. But the fact that they had to come up with a tool to help you root that out is a little telling. So even if you do try to diversify, you may end up investing in the same stuff uh, if you're not careful. So that gets a little bit confusing, but uh, it, it is something you need to be aware of.
1: Yeah. And and what's interesting too with modern portfolio theory is that some types of investments interact well with other types mm-hmm. of investments and actually get that balance out just by the nature that things are different doesn't mean they balance each other out. So sometimes what you'll see people do is it's almost like an adverse reaction to mis- mixing prescriptions. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, there's unintended consequences. You see that a lot with with people that say, oh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Let's choose this basket. And and they've
0: haphazardly
1: evaluated the other basket.
0: Yeah, knowing what you are investing in, having a strategy. That's one of the areas that a financial advisor could really help someone out in is making sure that you have a cogent strategy on how you're going to invest your money. And it's not just a shotgun approach.
1: You know, one of the ways that I used to see when I manage people's money that they always wanted to go is they'd say, okay, we're going to be in large cap growth companies large cap value companies. Mm-hmm. Then we're gonna be in some mid caps and some small caps, and then and, and there we go. And then they'll say, oh, and then we'll throw in some international. And by the way, when you throw in international, you're generally throwing in large cap international, mm-hmm. and you're not actually looking at the other types of international investments that would truly balance out your portfolio or you would say, I want to be in international, but then you would be in like Brazilian stocks mm-hmm. when you really should be in the other Brick Nation stocks. And,
0: and and it used to get sort of complicated. Yeah. One of the things that's is super closely aligned with what you're talking about is a home bias. Uh, often we just invest where we know. And the U.S. Uh, US investment market, U.S. stock market is large. It's you know, around 50% of the global stock market. But that's only 50% of the global stock market. And, and yes, when... Uh, when we have troubles oftentimes other parts of the world has have troubles as well but uh, if you are solely invested in u.s uh, companies you're leaving a lot on the table and you're not actually diversifying even though everything else in your portfolio may look diversified you need to get some geographical diversification in your portfolio as well i think back to probably the year 2000 i was trained in the
1: financial services industry to to be a an investment advisor And I I can see my trainer at the front of the room. Sort of a weird story. Uh, I graduated from college, um, but I had to get securities license before I graduated from college. So I passed my series seven as a college student. Uh, Then I was gonna get married at the end of July in the year 2000. Early July, they sent me to Secaucus, New Jersey to train for two weeks. And I looked out the window of the training room at the World Trade Center every single day Mm -hmm. for two weeks. And uh, I remember my trainer saying, a good sense. I'm like, when you get home, look around your house. How many of those things are made overseas? And then you, and you, and you're like, name them. And you, and people are like, Sony television. And then people are like, Mitsubishi toaster. And they're saying, and things. he's going, he's <laughs> like, so if 80% of the things that are made overseas are in your home, shouldn't that be in your portfolio too? And i like, I'm 20 to nothing years old. And my mind is like, man, he really tied it together. <laughs> I was like, this has really come together
0: for me. I'm going to make it back to Indiana and really help people out. And you bought uh, a million shares of Capital World Growth and Income and <laughs> yes. lived your life.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, no, I had Capital World Growth and Income and Am- Growth Fund of America. Of course. I mean, yeah. what, what else do you need? <laughs> I mean, those two together. Uh, was, uh, what's the balanced uh, American balanced. Balance Fund, yeah. too? Mm-hmm. A, B, A, X, something like that. I remember I had and I'm going to forget that one. (laughs) So anyway, the point is this Um, just because there's a lot of ingredients in the cake doesn't mean that the ingredient belongs in the cake. (laughs) And I I think when you invest and you're like, I'm diversified, I've got 15 things. You just need to pump the brakes and realize that you uh, have different things, but you might not actually be Diversified. And 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 the reason you want to be diversified, by the way, goes back to your risk tolerance, which we talked about in the previous segment. This isn't just diversification for diversification's sake. It's so that you're taking the proper level of risk in order to get the reward that you're going for. And if you don't play those two things off of each other, then it, it doesn't make a lot of sense in relation to your goals, which is why I also think a lot of modern day trading for amateurs gets sort of weird because there really is no financial goal.
0: The risk tolerance is not established and diversification is an afterthought. Absolutely. I, it's a lot tougher to have that that cogent plan that we talked about if you don't have that long-term goal. Day traders, day traders have a goal. It's a very short-term goal is to make sure that they're trying to make money on a daily basis. And that is a lot harder than most people give it credit for and that's why day traders in general don't make money except in raging bull markets. You catch, uh, catch some times like this or like we had a couple of years ago, all of a sudden uh, you find out who's actually in it for the long term and, and who's just there to make easy cash. Um, can we move on to, to a, a different uh, area real quick before we, we break? Feel free, on? you've got a minute. You dazzle us. So I think one of the other areas that we often overlook is excluding um, uh, anything other than conventional investments. And so that's, uh, it could be precious metals. And please don't uh, hit me up because of the times that we're in, but, you know, gold and um, maybe rentals and, you know, farmland, if you're in that part of the country, uh, artwork or whatever it is, there are lots of opportunities for people to try and get invested in these other areas now more than ever. And they are vastly different than, than what we would see in the stock market and the, the ups and downs there. So uh, if you have the ability and, and uh, the capacity to get into some of those other areas, I'm not saying you go all in, but, but maybe have some other things to balance out your overall investment portfolio. Investments just don't have to be stocks, bonds, um, CDs, things of that nature. They can come in the form of other things. More things that you can talk to your financial advisor about. Look, there are
1: people can do it yourself and you can and you can have a diverse sort of all-in-one fund. Uh, uh, you know, a target date fund offers a lot of diversity a lot of times. But if you can't do that or if you don't have the capacity to do that, talk to a financial advisor. Help them help you diversify the right way. Coming up after break, our favorite quality, the herd mentality. I'm Pete the Planner. I don't exactly know why that's our favorite quality. Bird mentality. Out. I was sending a text, a Slack, doing the time, and then trying to close the segment. So, needless to say, I just said words. Hmm. It worked. Go figure. Look at it. I feel like we're teaching things about money today. Like, it's weird when the show is valuable to others.
0: It'll, It'll never, never last. last. I know. Do you think we can keep up for three segments? Well, We're going to find out. Her mentality is going to be interesting. Because it can, it can, it can.
1: Peter out pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty simple concept. Did you ever? Oh, you don't have access to the HBO Max? I was mm. going to ask if you watched that Carl icon documentary. Did no. anyone in the Facebook Live or anybody watch the Carl icon documentary on HBO or HBO Max that I recommended last week? Because oh. it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I'll have to take your word for it. You know what I might do is later this week I'll like FaceTime with you while it's on. And just like, <laughs> I, I think that's illegal though, isn't it? When I've just, no, I'm no, rebroadcasting it.
0: Didn't, um, didn't Apple release that thing where you can share what you're watching on your phone? I don't
1: know. I'm don't i also to the point where I use and understand about 30% of the
0: capabilities of my iPhone. Did you just have that same realization? That I did. I, this is exactly what it was. Like uh, within the last couple of weeks, I looked at my phone and I was like, I don't even know how to use most of what's on here.
1: Well, it hit me the other day. So there's the, on the iPhone, you, you hit the uh, up from the the top yeah. right corner and pull down, and there's all these buttons. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that one. Do. Like this one here, I'm just hit it. What's it do? NFC tag reader. I I think I just started a, <laughs> a some. I don't know what happened, but that doesn't seem good. I think you can clear a lot of those buttons off to make you feel better about yourself. When did I become my father? I don't know. I, I like my dad. There's nothing wrong with it, but I am... I found myself... I said, I think I told this last week, I was sort of dancing, and I saw myself in the rear
0: view mirror and was like, oh, my God, I'm dancing <laughs> like Michael Douglas. Oh, well, I mean, if you can only look like Michael Douglas.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a handsome older man.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: okay. Enough about Michael Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> the show in three two one back on the pete the planner show dame um has it ever occurred to you that when peer pressure takes hold in the financial world there's a term for it that leads people to make mistakes they don't intend to make but they get so carried away with what's going on and the name for it is are you gonna tell us no, I was going to hope I was oh, you oh, yeah. this is like right.
0: a, a Mad Libs Sorry. Uh, herd mentality,
1: herd mentality. It's been going on as long as people have been exchanging goods and buying and selling them in, in the capacity. You think th- about moments like tulip mania. You think about things like uh, all sorts of thing where the herd is going one way. And are you going to get dragged alongside of them? So what do you think, Dane? Help us understand the herd mentality in the most basic level.
0: Uh, I think kids these days would uh, refer to part of this as FOMO, uh, making sure that they are being involved in whatever um, culturally relevant thing they deem appropriate uh, at the time is investing. uh, It's hard not to chase trends when you're trying to make money or build assets for a certain goal. Uh, We saw it with the tech bubble uh, a number of years ago. We, We saw it with of just about everything over the last 18 months but it is very difficult for us behaviorally to not see something that has uh, done very well whether it's over a past month or past quarter or past uh, 12 months and not want to be a part of it and at that point as you're getting in too as you're getting in late you are often getting in too late you're not going to receive all of the the benefits of, of just having a nice, uh, measured investment strategy where you owned it the whole time, whether it was in good times or bad times, you're going to ride that entire wave. So uh, her mentality can, uh, you know, of course you'll, you'll benefit a little bit in good times In bad times. That's where it gets really, really tricky because if you decide you're going to sell out because, uh, y- your friend, uh, in the next cubicle said, I can't take it anymore. I'm selling out. I think those things go into to the floor. Uh, getting out is one thing. Getting back in is another, and that's that's the really tough part of that decision but you will have the p- potential to create long-term problems for yourself uh, with those long-term goals if you start to succumb to herd mentality i want to paint a picture for
1: you sitting around the break room with your co- your colleagues let's say for instance dame that you're 27 years old and for some reason people say well oh that dame he's uh he's an old soul So the coworkers you're hanging out with, they're eating their egg salad sandwiches, are all 59 years old. And you're 27, like I mentioned. And your coworkers start to talk about how uh, the company stock that they have is no longer a good idea. And one of them said, my broker told me to sell it. And then the other guy says, well, I have the same broker. He told me to sell it too. And by the time he gets around the table, four of the five people there are selling the company stock and so you, Dame, the twenty-seven-year-old sitting there, you had hair in this example. No, oh. yeah, it looked good though. No, well, of course. Dread, dreads were a strange choice, but I do like your hair in this scenario. And and you think, oh well, I I should totally sell. I these guys know what they're talking about. Uh, they are my friends. They are smart. They have a broker. I should sell. And I have just described a herd mentality, and B, I've described why investment <laughs> objectives matter so much those four dudes sitting at your table combined age uh a lot uh what, 236 uh there's some math on the fly on a friday wow. 236 years old um they have a different investment object- objective for you so just because someone sells an investment that doesn't make sense for them doesn't mean you should sell it because you have your own reason for having it
0: yeah and it's very difficult to to give 27 year old me the benefit of the doubt it's very difficult hear people that you are friends with that you, uh, most likely respect for them. Most part, uh, say, you know what, this isn't good. I'm getting the heck out and not to think, well, gosh, if they're doing it, I, I should do it too. So it's very important uh, the, there's a thing called an investment policy statement and, and it might be overkill for, for some people, maybe for a lot of people, but the crux of it is this. It lays out how you are going to approach investing. It's going to give you a target to shoot for on an annual basis. It's going to give you bumpers to try and stay within. And if your overall um, strategy does fall within that, uh, that range, then you just keep your head down and keep contributing money to it and let it do its thing. You'll review that every once in a while, of course, but what somebody else does should have very little bearing on what you are doing if you believe and what you've set up and how you're approaching it.
1: I know everyone's expecting us to talk about cryptocurrency right now, but I'm going to skip that and instead talk about NFTs. (laughs) I mean, I feel like there's a massive herd mentality right now when it comes to NFTs. In fact, um, I read last week, I believe, I may have even talked about on the show, Darren Fox, I don't know how to say Mm -hmm. his name. He's the the, uh, point guard for the Sacramento Kings Mm -hmm. and the NBA. He uh, issued... I don't know, released some NFTs and uh, sort of went awry and went silent and is being accused of fraud. And I think even at that level of celebrity or or, or notability where a person can, you know, capitalize, monetize on their fame via NFTs if they were to understand Mm -hmm. them, uh, that is a herd mentality where people are saying, hey, that is a good idea.
0: Yeah, I I mean, this could have easily fallen into part of the diversification strategy as well, but... um, NFTs may turn out to be something that actually has value in the long run. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that uh, you shouldn't look at them, but certainly don't put a bulk of your assets and your investable assets and wealth into things that are yet unproven. Uh, I'm not saying that, uh, that that investment that you've got with your broker is going to turn out just fine, but it's probably got a, a little bit more of a track record than, than what a, an NFT released by an NBA player is going to have.
1: It's hard not to think back to when you're growing up and your parents would say things to you when you'd get in trouble in middle school, and your friends do something and you join in and get in trouble, and they say, "Well, if friends jumped off a bridge, would you?" And then and then you think about it for a second, and you want to be like, "Well, I mean, probably," uh, but you can't say that because you get in more trouble. So at least I did when my parents would say that, and I would say that back. This is the adult version of peer pressure. And the strange thing is these days, that's when you sound like an old guy when you say that, um, (laughs) people are marketing into the herd mentality. Every crypto commercial you see where fortune favors the brave, every gambling uh, commercial you see, they're trying to get you to be part of this, this moving herd and make you feel like if you're not doing it, you are missing out that is marketing and advertising 101 but when it comes to financial instruments and and the ability to take risk to get reward it gets pretty nasty
0: Yeah, you are the average investor the average person is being manipulated more today than they ever have and that's exactly what those commercials are trying to do now you may still see uh, an advertisement uh, for Franklin Templeton online although i i don't know I, they used to run <laughs> commercials during uh, during golf tournaments and Uh, mass mutual and and some of those other companies that are sponsoring large events. You may see commercials for things like that. I don't know if it rises to the same level of uh, coercion or manipulation that that some of these other things are. And if, if there's a mad rush to an area, you need to step back and ask why and make sure you understand why it might be right for you, why it might be wrong for you try and figure out why other people are doing it. And if it really has any staying power or fits in with what you're trying to accomplish, because if it doesn't tune it out, ignore it, move on, keep your head down, doing everything that you normally do.
1: Which brings me back to Carl Icahn. <laughs> Uh I, I mentioned last week, there is a documentary on HBO max about Carl Icahn, iconic investor, if you will. Uh, and something he said during the documentary was what I've learned is if everyone is flowing one way, mm-hmm. I want to be heading in the other direction. And, and and that is how you acknowledge the herd mentality and sometimes take advantage of it. Um, I don't know. I, I find this to be interesting that if you are made to feel like an outsider because you aren't participating in something that involves risk, I think that's a pretty good indication that you're fine and your instinct to stay out of it is valid. And, and, and you shouldn't feel like... FOMO is reason enough to get off the porch.
0: Yeah, there's a a whole theory on investing that's contrarian investing, which is uh, where Carl was kind of heading with that. So don't feel like you have to do everything everybody else is doing because you can make money other ways. Coming up after the break, speaking
1: of biggest waste of money, it's this week's biggest waste of money of the week. And of course, Dame's going to weigh in with current events that'll blow your mind and tickle your soul. That's all next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. When I said, tickle your soul, my brain was searching and found a word.
0: And then I dismissed that word and said soul. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping you weren't uh, expecting me to give a, like a Pillsbury Doughboy laugh. You
1: know, when I, I, you you and I have talked about this a lot. Actually, we talk about it at work all the time. I am an out loud thinker Mm -hmm. and there is some downside to that. Um, A lot of downside. And one of them is you find yourself creating the word salad as it's flowing out of the mouth. And, and sometimes you, you you have some unfortunate phrases. Yeah.
0: Um, you understand the uh, struggle <clears throat> I have with radio every week. Oh, come on. Um, you know, we are. Oh Oh, I think we're
1: here. This is the two-year anniversary of our COVID <sighs> impact predictions. Oh. I should totally go back and find those. That's what you said last week. But I'm not going to. No two-year anniversary of you and I going, hey, well, this coronavirus, should we <laughs> serve it with a lime? And I mean, like, wait, we, we actually, we were not uh, flip about what was happening. Um, I don't know. Interesting, right? Two years. Yeah, man. How time flies when you're having fun. Okay. Sorry to do that to everybody. You ready to go here? Let's, let's do this. Okay. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Those are famous last words. Three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is the Vintage Stork Club Ashtray. Opened in 1929 and closed in 1965, the Stork Club was one of New York City's most prestigious clubs visited by celebrities royalty, and a general mishmash of the world's elite. You know, Dame, like you. Of course. This ashtray, believed to be from the 1950s, is a rare piece most likely stolen from the club in its heyday. Sculpted in black ceramic, it has tapered sides with four indentions for holding cigars or cigarettes, as well as raised white lettering on the outside, equally as useful as a catch-all for small items. It's an instant conversation starter. Dame, the vintage Stork Club ashtray. I mean, it's a classic looking ashtray. Mm-hmm. I feel like Don Draper is, mm-hmm. you know, knocking the butt off of a pall mall under this thing. Uh, what do you think this ashtray costs? It wasn't an auction.
0: It, it was, it was, you could buy it. What, what do you think it is? I, uh, I have questions. Uh, okay, questions. Will, yes. will those divots hold my vape pen? Because if they won't, I, I don't have any use for it. Dame of course is not one that uses the electronic <laughs> cigarettes
1: or byproducts of tobacco. So that was a joke. Um,
0: so this is stolen material, they say? So, that's I mean, the thing. It's yeah. a, I mean, that's fencing, is it not? Yeah. I mean, this, how is this legal? You can sell. I don't, I don't understand this. But, but for argument's sake and for entertainment's sake, uh, I will say that that is... Um, used ashtray. That's true. Used ashtray. $225. $595.
1: And that's why it's this week's biggest waste of money of the week game. In college, uh, on my 21st birthday... My friend Seamus and I <laughs> went to uh, Hooters in Clarksville, Indiana All right. Uh, to have some chicken wings. And upon leaving the restaurant and getting halfway down the, ha- the highway on the way back to Hanover, Seamus hands me a Hooters pint glass and says, happy birthday. And at that time, and still to this day, I'm, I am not one to steal things. <laughs> <laughs> I have had guilt For 22 years, or 23 years, over Seamus lifting a Hooters pint glass. And Dame, every night at dinner, when I drink water, I drink it out of my Hooters pint glass to this
0: day. (laughs) And that is a true story. (laughs) How guilty are you if you still use it on a daily basis? I feel bad about it. You could get in your car and drive to the nearest Hooters and say, I need to make something right. I think the, the good part for me, and I
1: think this is why I continue to... Yeah, that's true. I probably should do that. I mean, I'm the one that turned myself in for the accidental shoplifting last
0: week. Here's the thing. They know you're in in possession of stolen property right now. Hooters? Yeah, as soon as you hit publish on that. It's out on the, on the interwebs right now. Hooters knows that Seamus stole something and you willfully received it. They're going to be looking for you.
1: I... Uh... I like that my kids have no idea what's going on with that glass. Like they don't get it because it's like, you know, how would they know? I mean, yeah. they—it's not a thing. It's not really a cultural thing like it used to be. No,
0: no. I mean, I—I I started to say you could go to a Hooters and return it, and I was like, do they, do they have Hooters anymore? I don't. I don't even know. Sure, Dave.
1: What's it, in the news? Yeah.
0: Pete, have you heard about surge pricing for new movies? No. Ticket buyers at one AMC entertainment location in Chicago, for instance, could expect to pay an extra dollar more to see the new Batman film this Saturday night than those heading to see the two-week-old Uncharted. And Saturday night screening of the film at a Cinemark location in Piqua, Ohio, is currently priced $2 higher than one of Dog, according to the chain's website. Though Though variable pricing has been implemented by the nation's three largest chains, it's unclear how prevalent the new practice will be among smaller chains.
1: I remember when airlines started doing surge pricing and you were so mad. You just walk around mad. I don't know if this practice at movie theaters raises my temperature at all for several reasons. And and part of this, Dame, is clearly the increments are so small, they hope people dismiss the mm-hmm.
0: ridiculousness of them. Of course. I'm, I'm just wondering what the uh, surge pricing for the new Top Gun movie is going to be when it finally I, comes out. All right. So here we go. I'm going to be honest with you right now.
1: I got it's a question that I'm asking, so I don't know why a question is honest. Uh, How much would you pay right now to go watch the Top Gun 2 movie in the theater? What's the cap that you would pay for one ticket? And it's not like a you know, a flicks where there's dinner and beers, it's just like you're sitting down, you're watching Tom Cruise be handsome with his tooth in the middle of his face. You know about that, right? No, his tooth, he has a tooth that's right in the middle of his mouth. That comes right down, it's like in the front. So, if you think about your, your lip yeah. and you split it right down the middle, he has a tooth that sits right in really? the middle where you and I have teeth on either side of the middle split. He has one dead center. You didn't know that, but he's still handsome. How does he pull that off? Look it up. You're like, whoa. Huh.
0: Anyway, how much would you pay? Uh, questions on this, too. Uh, okay. Is this uh, movie still yet unreleased? on like the only person that's going to have seen it. No. For- it's, it's 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 uh, opening weekend. How much are you willing to pay? Um,
1: By the way, how much does a movie cost?
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's what I was like. I'm gonna because like movies in my neck of the woods are less than what they are down in in your area. Um, I would, I'd probably pay twenty bucks. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I, I don't even know what it. I don't know the last time I've been to a movie. Clip 2019, I got to think. I will tell you that it's one that I want to see in the theater and not wait till it comes out, though, because I think the experience on a big screen with the sound will be tremendously different in, a, in that setting versus at home. What else is in the news? Well, we were talking about NFTs, so I'm going to feed that animal. <laughs> the Ukraine is planning to release its own collection of non-fungible tokens to support its troops defending against invading Russian forces, making it one of the first countries to release nfts ukraine's vice premier uh, sorry vice prime minister michaelio fedorov announced the plan on twitter writing quote every day there are more and more people willing to help ukraine to fight back we will announce nfts to support ukrainian armed forces soon end quote it's the latest initiative in ukraine's crypto friendly fundraising campaign which has uh, raised 50 million dollars worth of crypto in the last week and also, a two hundred thousand dollar crypto punk wearing a blue bandana was sent to Ukraine's wallet on Tuesday. An additional two hundred seventy million has been raised in war bonds and uh, some some other stuff out there. But NFTs. By I have questions, and
1: again, we we have this conversation with respect, uh, mm-hmm. given the sensitivity of the situation. But I do have some sincere questions. Number one, like uh, it's just chaos in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. How in the world do they have the ability to organize? Uh, an NFT offering, and and the the follow up question to that, sir, is why do people feel like they need to get something that's to it. support the effort? That's like, what, like just give them money if that's what you want. Yeah,
0: that's that's exactly it. I, I think uh, if you feel so led, then you should just hand the hand the cash over and however whatever method you you can get it to them. But to expect something in return feels a little weird i
1: would feel incredibly guilty to get it to buy a ukrainian nft as opposed to just somehow giving them money like
0: uh, why do i have to get a memento of a horrible situation it's going to be the new war medal for for people who didn't go fight they're going to be able to display say i I got the the ukrainian nft all right. Let's end on a better story. The guy who invented Wordle sold it to the New York Times for an amount in the low seven figures, but he's probably kicking himself for not asking for more. In the first 24 hours that the company integrated Wordle into its website, visits to the page were about equal to the total monthly audience for the entire New York Times site. I play every morning. This morning I played at
1: 4.30, and that's about when I play. Another sign that I'm getting old. <laughs> Crossword, this is has, this is this is crosswords for you, Pete. Has anyone, hey, has anyone else noticed that in the last couple months, I'm just telling on myself uh, of like I am morphing into an old man. I play every day, and it is the great joy of my life. This is becoming Pete's confessional time. Uh, do you play Wordle? I do. Every day? Uh, I try to. I, there's a couple days that slip through, but most days. I know people like to brag on the wordle, so I will do mine. I have missed it once and I have played for a very, very long time. Once. Missed
0: once. Wow. Look at you. I I think I too have missed once, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Look at you.
1: All right, Dame. uh, That's it.
0: That's the show. Um,
1: Pretty uh, judicious with time this week. So, Mm -hmm. Dame, we will be back next week, I believe. No one ever really knows. Uh, We'll figure that out then. Uh, So, to everyone else, send me good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm. Pete the Plater. That's Damian Dunn, and this is the Pete the Plater show. All right, that's it, man. We did it. Look at that. Um, all right, Dame. Well, I hope you have a good uh, little Friday. Same to you. I'm going to go shopping for Mrs. Planner this afternoon because I did not have time this week. So I did not make time this week. I'm doing that after work. And then I'm going to take her home, a new puppy or something. I don't really know. Danza asks
0: a great question to close it out. What's your opening wordle Um,
1: guess? My opening wordle guess is about, and my second word is hires, H-I-R-E-S. I I go with arise and cloud. Mrs. Planner goes with soar with an E, -E, Mm S-O-A-R-E, and until. And then our third throw-off word, if you have to, we both use Gimpy. Gimpy. Oh, okay. I don't know what's wrong with us. Okay, Dame, got to go. Jeremiah, sorry, I I really do. Uh, Dame, good to see you. Everyone else, stay getting money.